0: Hey guys and welcome to another episode of Talking in Bits where we walk through Bitcoin bit by bit so we can present you guys with the information that you need to possibly get rich. This week, me and Ben sit down with Swan Bitcoin CTO, and we literally hit Bitcoin from all angles. We talk about it from a sovereignty standpoint. We talk about it from a business standpoint. We talk about security of your Bitcoins. We talk about regulation and so many other things. This is the perfect episode for anybody who wants to hear an experienced person in Bitcoin talk about it from their end and their perspective. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. I present to you guys Swan Bitcoin CTO, Jan Pritzker. Uh, Jan, thanks you. thank you for joining us on Talking in, Talkin in Bits. I really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Great to be here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was very surprised. It's very rare nowadays when you're able to reach out to somebody, uh, especially a CTO of a company
1: on Twitter, and he says, hey, let's rock, let's do it. i uh, very excited <laughs> about that, man. I love doing pods. Uh, I don't know. It just gives me a little break from my uh, day-to-day, so all good. Awesome. Really that cool?
0: Um, so, you know, this is a new uh, project for us, and we're excited about Bitcoin, like the majority of the people are excited about Bitcoin. The cool part about us is we have this uh, awesome, interesting trend where not only do we have a relationship in our personal life, but Ben is really good when it comes to finances and the investment part of Bitcoin, that aspect of it. And I seem to geek out over the uh, security and gapless, you know, cold storage and the, the tech behind everything going on. So we kind of have a little... Nice uh, hybrid thing going on here. We want to bring that to this conversation. very cool. Cool. So our listeners are usually you know people that are either getting into Bitcoin or want to know more about Bitcoin. Um, can you explain in your in your words what Bitcoin is to the listeners?
1: well, I, I think of Bitcoin as a new form of money, and uh, I, I almost think of it like like what we used to have with gold or you know cash money, right? Before uh, we became a digital, payment society, we used to have money that you could just, you know, give to somebody else and, and they could accept it. And that was the end of your transaction. Now, most of our payments are done through digital networks. So uh, even your bank, your, your credit card, your debit card, PayPal, Visa, um, you know, Apple Pay, these are all electronic forms of payments. And in certain societies, like in China, these things are even more prevalent. Um, and what that, what that leads to is a, a system where anytime you wanna make a payment, that's always going through some third party. And not only does that create the opportunity for them to surveil you, uh, potentially censor those transactions, to stop you from, from doing something, um, more practically to stop you from leaving your country, for example, if you're trying to get out of a really bad situation where you know, you're an authoritarian regime or you know, have capital controls, um, I have a personal history with that, so I, I'm familiar with this idea. And so. No uh, we, can, we can talk about that. Yeah. But, do, you you know, mind, do
0: you mind sharing a little bit about that? Yeah. History? yeah.
1: I just to finish my thought on Bitcoin, you know, for me, Bitcoin yeah. is a new type of money. I, I call it freedom money. It's the money that you can take with you in the case of your country being, you know, in trouble. Uh, it's a money that, that the government can't debase and, and make worthless uh, by printing lots of it. So that, that's the value for me. But yeah, um, my history. So uh, I, came from, uh, I came from the Soviet Union. Uh, with my family i was just a kid so a lot of what i know is mostly from talking to my parents and doing some research but um we immigrated here to the united states in 1989 uh, which was kind of like the second window when the soviet union allowed people to leave uh, the other one was like in 79. Okay. Um, pre- between those dates it was really hard to get out of the country i just couldn't couldn't do it uh in the soviet union you had like a traditional um Socialist society, right? So you had extreme lockdowns and everything. There was lockdowns of media, there was lockdowns of people coming in and out of the country. Uh, there was lockdown of the financial system. So <clears throat> you were forced to use the the currency, which was the ruble, uh, which the government, you know, controlled completely. There was there was price fixing, right? All the prices were essentially set by the government, uh, which led to shortages of goods and services everywhere. Uh, and the ruble was just like a devalued currency; nobody wanted it. And so in the, in the Soviet economy, a lot of it actually functioned on the dollar. There was a lot of uh, black market dollar usage. So anytime you wanted to get anything done, it was either like dollars or vodka would, would get it done because you needed something as <laughs> scarce, right? Like dollars and vodka were scarce. The ruble was not scarce. Uh, it was, um, and so like most, mo- I actually looked some research on this and, and something like uh, between 40 to 80% of transactions for things of value, things like apartments, car repairs, um, we're done in, in dollars, not the ruble. Uh, Interesting, but, okay. Yeah, so it was kind of crazy. So when we left uh, the Soviet Union in 89, uh, there were capital controls, which meant that the government decided how much money you could take with you. So what they said is you can exchange up to $100 per person at our government exchange rate, which was like a fake exchange rate that was not the real value of the ruble, right? Wow. Uh, so, so yeah, so my family, which was a family of four, we left the country with $400 and like you know a few suitcases. Um, wow. and so I, I, didn't know about this until I got into Bitcoin because I never thought to ask, you know, like we immigrate to the U S and like a lot of immigrants we came in poor. And I just assumed, you know, this is just what happens, right? You come, you come to a new country, you always start poor. Yeah. Um, but the reality was more nuanced. It was like, you know, we weren't wealthy per se. Nobody in Russia was really wealthy, but, um, we, we didn't get to keep our wealth. Right. We, we, we had to leave it behind. So, right. um, uh, when I heard about that and I totally, you know, I came into Bitcoin from a technology side. I was like really excited about the distributed uh, ledger and like, you know, uh, something that nobody controls. It was really cool. But I finally understood what the value was when I talked to my parents about the Soviet Union because then I was yeah. like, oh, you know, like I can, this is Bitcoin, I can take this money with me. I can give it to my children. and I know they're always going to have wealth that's portable in case anything goes wrong and they have to move somewhere else. They have to get out of the country, whatever. Yeah. It's like portable wealth, right? That's, it's kind of, really powerful and it it can actually bring down really bad regimes like the Soviet union.
0: Yeah. I I think the eerie part about everything, well, everything of that was eerie, but is how similar that Mm -hmm. sounds to what's going on now or or what's going Mm -hmm. on with 2020. Right. So you, you know, lockdowns, stopping people from coming in, printing money at a crazy rate, debasing Mm -hmm. the money. Um, You know, I'm glad you shared that story because I don't think people realize how close that is to from actually happening. Yeah. So do you, so do you think that Bitcoin, um, you, do you think it's, it's, you think it correlates with these type of times, these hard times? Do you think that your experience and the experience that's happening now is where Bitcoin prevails?
1: Does that make uh, sense? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So first of all, I think what's, what a lot of people don't get when they're living in America is that like half of the world lives in the way that I just described still today. Right. Uh, places like Iran or Turkey, Argentina, Venezuela, Lebanon. Um, I mean, there's dozens of countries which have some form of capital control, some form. I mean, you can't, Argentina right now, you can't buy more than $200 worth, uh, $200 US per month. Really? The currency Yeah. The, uh, this is from somebody on the ground. Yeah. Um, you know, and Argentina is like a developed country. This is not like some third world country. This is a developed right. country, modern right. developed country, right? Uh, Venezuela was an extremely developed, very rich country prior to all the things that went down there, uh, you know, like in the last 10 years. Uh, So So these, these, these things are happening now. Right. And so I think, um, what's happening in America and with, with the COVID and and the money printing and everything that started happening, it brought all those issues home to us that everybody else in the world is already quite familiar with. Um, and we're going to start seeing more of that. And I think we're going to start, you know, I, I'm still very optimistic about America. I think um, we we have a very resilient and, and decentralized type of government, government system, uh, yeah. and I hope they embrace Bitcoin rather than reject it uh, because sure. it could be a very powerful part of our, our structure, but, uh, but we're starting to feel those things, right? We're starting to see the money creation. We're starting to see like the stock market go vertical while you know, like everybody's businesses are failing. We're starting to see the disconnect of everyday reality from the financialization. Uh, and the money printing that's making basically, you know, the rich people richer and the poor people poorer. And, uh, you know, I think that that's starting to cement the idea that, like, Bitcoin is important. This this is starting to prove it out.
0: Okay. So how does, in your opinion, how does a network designed by Cypherpunks solve those huge,
1: massive problems? Well, I, there's a lot of problems in, in the monetary system, right? And yeah. uh, Satoshi was very... Um, I think he was very tuned in to what those problems are. And he pointed out in some of his forum posts things like, um you know the debasement of the currency. He said, uh, like the history of fiat currencies is full of breaches of of trust, right? we We trust the government not to debase our currency, but the history of a fiat currency is full of that. So what he's talking about is like that the governments over time, given the power to print money, they they do that, right? And they don't yeah. do it because they're evil or they have some masterminds. Sometimes they do, but most of yeah. the time they do it because they're asked to do so by the people, right? Like take an example here with what happened with COVID, right? All these businesses are suffering and they're, you know, they're lobbying their, their representatives and they're like, we need a bailout. We need to fix this. We're not going to survive. And so what is the government going to do? Of course, they're going to try to uh, print their way out of this mess and they're having this horribly deflating economy and they need to do something. So they create all this money or they make it really cheap to take loans. Right. And what is the result of that? Well, like the money supply is inflated, so prices go up. Now, they don't go up everywhere. They go up to where where people with the money have access, right? So like I can take out a loan at you know sub 3% against my house, for example. Uh, if you're like a public company, like Michael Saylor uh, with MicroStrategy, they've just taken out a loan at 0.75%, right? So the more money you have, the cheaper your credit. And, you know, at the end of the day, like you use that money to do what? Buy Bitcoin, buy gold, buy stocks, uh, buy real estate. All of those things go up. Um, and the people who are trying to live their lives day, day to day, now they can't afford a house anymore uh, because their salary didn't go up. Um, only yeah. the, only the assets went up. So yeah. like that's happening, right? And I think that, that Bitcoin is a very interesting system that says, we're we're going to take away that power. We're not going to give the government the power to arbitrarily, uh, steal from savers through the form of inflation. Um, instead, we're going to be on a fair system, right? If you have uh one, you know, 0.1 Bitcoin, whatever amount of Bitcoin you have, that that's a fixed amount out of a fixed system. There's, it's never going to grow. The amount of Bitcoin is never going to grow. So you have a certain amount of value and it's protected. Um, so I think that's a really interesting uh, countervailing force to like what the government and the, and the Fed and, and the banking system is trying to do now um, and you know, the, the flip side of that is kind of the privacy and anonymity and portability aspect of Bitcoin, which I think is also really important. Yeah. Uh, because now if I'm in a country that's, the U.S. is still by far, like it's not, it's it's fine. Like we're not going to crash and burn as badly as some of these other places. But there's sure. places like Venezuela that are already, you know, completely on fire with, you know, million dollar million percent inflation in their currency. So the currency is completely useless. And those places being able to, you know, move money in and out of the country using Bitcoin is really, really valuable because otherwise you're losing all your value to fake government exchange rates and inflation and things like that. So I think it's a really big deal.
0: Yeah. And and different problems. Um, I've been listening to Jack Mauler's lately talk about basically, um, you know, even if in these small places, you know, people have to drive on a bus for two hours to get to a Western Union and to get to a place Mm -hmm. that can get them this Mm -hmm. money. And then even when they take that two-hour drive, there's basically gangs that sit outside these places and, you know, either rob you for your money or ask you for half of it in exchange for you to walk away for another two hours. Um, And like you hinted at earlier, I do agree. I don't think here in America we realize those problems because we wake up to warm water and, you know, our bank accounts have, you know, money inside of them. So very interesting. So...
2: Just just a quick question, bro.
0: Absolutely, Um, yes.
2: So there's been some headlines, right? So one of them says that the HSBC uh, bars transactions related to crypto, cryptocurrencies in the UK. How do we get around that? And then we're also seeing, uh, I think President Christine Lagarde of uh, the European Central Bank. They're talking about more regulations on Bitcoin. As Bitcoin becomes more and more popular, uh, these people are going to try and stop it as we're seeing, right? How do we get around what they're trying to do in terms of being, you know, banned from making deposits into the HSBC?
1: Yeah, I think uh, to me, its I don't think it's inevitable that government has to step all over this. I think there's a world where that doesn't happen, yeah. um, which is like the, op- the optimistic side of me says it doesn't happen. And the way that happens is a government is just a bunch of people, right? So uh, mm-hmm. if those people are all Bitcoiners, then there's no problem. So we need <laughs> to point. get more yeah. Bitcoin into the hands of people in government. And we're already seeing that that's starting to happen. Um, yeah. We've got a senator. We got Cynthia Loomis in Wyoming, who is an openly... I would call her an openly Bitcoiner senator, right? Who's come out and said that she believes that Bitcoin is a very good uh, store of value, and and you know she comes from the Treasury Department, I believe, uh, in Wyoming. So you know she knows about money. Um, yeah. And then you've got a couple of senators and congressmen. Uh, I mean, even like the chairman of the Banking Commission said that Bitcoin was not stoppable. It's a worldwide phenomenon. So I'm kind of bullish on America not being totally idiotic about this because if right. they embrace this industry. This is a huge industry, right? We have a homegrown American mining industry that's heating up big time. Uh, yep. we've got investments by guys like Peter Thiel. Like these are serious people with serious money. Jamie Dimon. And Jamie. <laughs> I All mean, right. if you He's if you bullish. start to think about like uh, who controls government, really, is the people with the money. And so, if the people with the money are the people who have the Bitcoin, then I don't think we have a problem. Um, mm-hmm. On the flip side, if the government becomes hostile towards Bitcoin, right? Uh, or banks become hostile towards... First of all, if banks become hostile towards Bitcoin, it's still a free market. They're going to get boycotted. And uh, frankly, you know, yeah. I, I run a, a Bitcoin company, right? So I, yeah. I run a company called Swan Bitcoin. I'm the CTO of Swan Bitcoin. And we deal with lots of different banks and people trying to wire us money, for example. And some of them don't want to send money to quote unquote cryptocurrency companies. Well, guess what those people are doing? The people with money, like with serious money, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars are saying, mm-hmm. we're not going to bank with this bank anymore. We're going to leave. We're going to go to one that that works. Yeah. So first of all, the free market will choose the ones that support Bitcoin. Uh, secondly, if regulations or something like that come down, well, then you're just making your country not competitive against other countries because at the end of the day, there still will be some place. And I'm sure many uh, you know, people who've dealt with Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies know it's not that hard to go out and find a, you know, an exchange in some other country and get around, you know, whatever... Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, IP restrictions they might have. It's very, it's trivial for people who want to actually do it, right? Uh, yeah. So there's always leaks in the system. So I think what's going to happen is that countries that don't embrace this ecosystem, they're just going to give away all the money to the countries that do. And you're going to have brain drain. You're going to have people leaving to start companies in other jurisdictions that are more friendly. And, um, you know, those those countries that embrace it will at the end of the day profit. So I'm bullish on America embracing Bitcoin. I think it's going to happen. I, it's It's such an American concept to me, like, decentralized yeah. money is what the capitalism. founders, capitalism and yeah. free markets. It's what the founders said. Like money should not be, it should be only gold and silver. You know, if they, if they had known about Bitcoin, they would have put that up there. Right. It's the same thing. It's mm-hmm. a hard money. Right. Um, it feels like a very American concept. And I think, um, I think we're going to get there. I love that outlook. Just <laughs> optimistic. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an optimist. now. I don't know. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I mean, yeah. I mean,
2: we're seeing Bitcoin pretty much explode, right? The big institutions are here to play. Big banks are yeah. here to play. Jamie Dimon's talking about Bitcoin 146 grand, and I even think like Max Kaiser's been saying 200 grand, and he's been on it since it was a dollar, right? So yeah. as it continues, to, I mean, we we just filmed another podcast. We had this, you know, crash from 42 grand down to 30, and we're sitting around 37, 38 grand in a yeah. matter yeah. of a few days. Has really yeah, good legs underneath it, right? Now. are getting
1: bought, and I think. This is the thing that a lot of people who maybe are new to Bitcoin don't understand like what this looks like. This is very different from the 2017 hype bubble, I would say, because at that point Mm -hmm. it was very retail focused. It was all very much like taxi drivers and, you Mm -hmm. know, like bartenders. I I literally had conversations in Ubers all the time about crypto in 2017. (laughs) I was like, I'm I'm (laughs) in XRP, (laughs) bro. I'm like, so, you know, this is different. This is like, you know, billion dollar buys by public companies. is a very different Mm -hmm. thing. These companies are not trading in and out of Bitcoin. They're not buying other assets. They're buying Bitcoin and they're in it for the long haul. And yeah. only now is Bitcoin big enough for them to even start to think about it, right? Because Absolutely. we're just getting to what? Like 600, 700 billion dollars of Bitcoin. Market cap. Market cap, which is barely enough for somebody like a Michael Saylor to come in and do a billion dollar buy. It's just like scratching the surface, right? Think yeah. about mm-hmm. it if you have a, to buy $10 billion or, you know, a hundred billion dollars. Forget about it. You can't do it right now. You yeah. can't buy like a fifth of the entire market, right? Right. Not possible. So these institutions, a lot of them are going to have to wait until the market's big enough. So we still have a long way to go before really the really big money comes in.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Michael Saylor with, uh, MicroStrategy. he's putting together a, like a corporate webinar, um, mm-hmm. cause he wants corporations to get in on it. So like I recently sent it to, uh, my old CEO that I used to work for back in 2017, I used to buy Bitcoin and I would, you know, talk to him about it. And he was kind of, you know, just, not sold on it, but now I can go to him and be like, Hey, look, this guy has spent a billion dollars. His stock has gone up $200 hmm. and he's smart. Listen to him, you know, yeah. and, and consider it. So I think it's going to be really cool to see corporations kind of take this on. Um, some of the guys on Twitter have been, you know, at, uh, Elon Musk, like, Hey, when are you going to buy before. Right. Is it going to
1: be You like busy building rockets. He probably doesn't <laughs> right. care. <But> like <laughs> right, for the right, rest right. of us, like plebs, it's, it is a thing. I mean, we, we, I, we actually onboard a lot of companies at Swan and yeah, we, that's awesome. The, the, it's been heating up and it's just totally out of left field. Like I, if you asked me a year ago what we would be doing, you know, I thought we'd be onboarding retail investors doing $50 a week. Instead, we have like two or three companies a day contacting us saying we want to do corporate treasury. And these are... Mom right. and pop shops, family businesses, yeah. medium-sized businesses, like anything, right? Anything right. goes. Uh, people who, who just feel like they have to have Bitcoin to protect their wealth uh, for yeah. their family business for, you know, they're thinking about it as a multi-generational business that they want to stay alive. Yeah. And Bitcoin I- makes all the sense in the world after you have air cover from people like Michael Saylor and like, you know, all these other uh, companies, Mass Mutual, an insurance company that goes out right. and buys $100 million, a hundred million dollars. They're from Massachusetts too. Yeah, there yeah, you go. Right. You know what I mean? It's like it's, how, how you, they're, they're creating an atmosphere that makes it okay, right? That, yeah, it's a totally different narrative
0: now. Now, how, I was about to ask that same question. How do you think the narrative, or what did you think the narrative changed to from, like you said, the taxi cab guys to where we're at now with the Mass mutuals? What I changed
1: in the narrative? What uh, What actually did it? What triggered this change? Mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of it is actually the the COVID and and money printing thing that kind of happened. I, I think that. Okay. I think to me, there's a combination of factors just from listening to, to people like Michael Saylor and other people talk about it. People got locked down there. They saw the money printing and they had all this free time on their hands. All of a sudden they weren't going (laughs) to meetings anymore. They weren't, you know, they were having a much more efficient work day. They started researching Bitcoin uh, and they started reading about it. It's popping up in the news. The price action, of course, doesn't hurt. Um, And all of a sudden they're thinking, well, wait a minute, like what's happening. Yeah, if you look at the chart of the U.S. dollar like monetary base, it looks like it just went vertical. A- after it was already on a big tear from two thousand eight, because they started printing lots of money then. But now, yeah. it's just straight vertical. So right. like they're thinking, what does it mean when all this money enters into the uh, into the economy, and all of a sudden you have the answer? Well, the stocks are going to all time highs for no reason at all because the economy is in the tank, right? <laughs> uh, people are buying Tesla at like I don't know a thousand x earnings, right? Like yeah. And look, I love Tesla, right? I'm a huge Tesla bull, but there are limits to everything, right? So like people are doing this thing just because they have money. They have all this money. They came out of nowhere. There's free money essentially, right? Like if you take a loan for 75 bips, which like what Michael Saylor did, that's free money, literally. You just, you know, put it all into Bitcoin. So everything goes up like crazy. And so people, now they're all watching what these other guys are doing. And it's really hard to, to sit on the sidelines if you're a CEO that doesn't have Bitcoin exposure and you're seeing all these other companies that do and their stock is doubling, tripling, quadrupling and, and you're like suffering because of COVID. I mean, you're, you only have one move. So that, that's the narrative change, right? You, you, you're like fighting for your life to survive. Absolutely. And, and if you're not doing this, then you're out of the game. So I think we're going to see a lot more of that. Okay. Now, you how does that open?
2: work with uh, Swan Bitcoin? Um, so, yeah. like, I'm I'm thinking in my mind, what was it? Uh, was Cash App that bought 50 million of Bitcoin? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, they bought that personally. Then users kind of trade that on their platform. Um, how does it work with your company? Do you guys buy Bitcoin and then... Do you move it or when someone wants to buy, do you go through like an exchange or how does that process kind of work Uh, out?
1: We have, uh, we were partnered with a company called uh, Prime Trust, which is a Nevada chartered licensed and regulated trust company. And they actually have a bunch of OTC desks. And for people who don't know what OTC means, it's over the counter. It's essentially how bigger trades are settled. Uh, So if you're buying like large chunks of of Bitcoin, typically that's going through the desk like that. It's kind of like an exchange. Uh, They just, you know, they quote your price for a certain period of time. So gotcha. when when our users buy Bitcoin, what they're actually doing is they're essentially like chopping out this quote. Like if you want to buy a hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin, they'll just say, mm-hmm. okay, which of these desks can settle the trade, and they'll get the best price and and execute it. So it, we're not selling gotcha. our own Bitcoin. We're we're gotcha. helping users connect to this other party, um, because gotcha. we're actually not a money business. We're more or less like a marketing company for Bitcoin. And we think of ourselves as an education company, really, um, and we put on shows and uh, you know do a lot of content and we try to educate people on why Bitcoin is important. And then once they're ready to buy, we help them do that through Prime Trust. That's smart. Yeah, yeah. that's easy marketing plan. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, yeah, no. I mean, Bitcoin practically markets itself, but it's, Pretty uh, it, much. it is a challenging yeah. thing, right? I mean, it's got so many angles to it and um, it's challenging to, I think for every audience, there's a different angle. If you're a CEO, it's one thing. If you're you know, a poor person in Venezuela, it's a totally different thing. So everybody that's has their sure. own needs and they have to be addressed in different ways. Yeah.
0: Now on the surface, Swam Bitcoin would seem like a DCA app, a you know dollar cost average app. Would you agree with that, or would you say that that's just a, the basic of what you guys do? That's how that's how we started. Uh, there's okay. a lot of reasons
1: why we started that way, but we we really believe our mission is to onboard the next 10 million Bitcoiners. That was our original mission, and uh, we believe that the best way to be buying Bitcoin is through Don't automatic ask. recurring purchases. Set so and forget it. Don't think about it. Let yeah. it accumulate just like you're saving for your 401k or your house or whatever. Um, do the same thing with Bitcoin savings technology. So we launched with a very strong uh, bent towards dollar cost averaging specifically automatic DCA, meaning it's happening by by itself. Mm-hmm. Um, over time, we were able to offer things like instant buys, which we just launched uh, last month. Uh, we started taking nice. uh, wire transfers. And now because the corporate uh, thing kind of came out of nowhere, right? Like people just started doing corporate treasury. And they like us. You know, we have a strong yeah. team. We have a lot of um, really good people in our circle. We we know all the kind of financial advisors and uh, people who really know their stuff. And they're all recommending Swan. You know, they think we're trustworthy. Uh, so we thank them for that. And because of that, we've started offering treasury services and uh, private client services for high net worth individuals. And we basically expanded our services just because that's where where the needs are,
0: where the demand uh, is.
1: Yeah. yeah. And we still continue to strongly push the the idea that, you know, everybody should be dollar cost averaging and we're trying to get everybody to do that over time.
0: Yeah. Now, can you uh, walk me through the flow of the app? So do you guys, so you set it up, you dollar cost average to what you can, and do you guys send it to a hot wallet? Do you guys send it to a cold wallet? Uh, So
1: when, when the Bitcoin is purchased at Prime Trust, so whenever somebody goes through through the SWAN flow, what they're actually doing is they're setting up a Prime Trust account. So we collect a bunch of information, we set up their account, and then whenever they buy Bitcoin, that's purchased through this exchanging process there uh, in, into their own custodial account at Prime Trust. So we don't actually own that account, which is okay. a very cool thing. It's not like with Coinbase or some other exchange. You basically have funds on the exchange. Here, you have funds in your own account owned by your legal name at Prime Trust. So even if we go out of business or something like horrible happens to us, uh, God forbid, then you can still get access to your funds because they're like with a, a licensed and regulated trust company which is very cool and different That's from, interesting. Yeah. From, from exchanges. Um, and then once you buy the Bitcoin, it's sitting in a cold wallet at Prime Trust Hardware. You know, They use Fireblocks, which is kind of like this um, industry-leading hardware-based um, uh, key management solution. Gotcha. So it's stored in the cold wallet. And then if you want to withdraw it, you can withdraw it. We actually have an auto-withdrawal uh, plan. So you can set up something that says every week or every time I reach a certain threshold of Bitcoin, trigger withdrawal and then you get an email from them straight to your inbox. You can confirm your withdrawal, and then it goes to your uh, hot wallet or cold wallet or wherever, wherever you want it. Really cool. So you Very guys cool. are
0: actually able to tiptoe around security because you don't actually have
1: to secure anything. Is that? Well, I mean, yes and no, right? So okay. th- at the end of the day, yes, we are tiptoeing around it because the disbursements have to, at the end of the day, be authorized by your email. But okay. we still obviously want to secure your account, so we offer you know, two, uh, two-factor authentication, um, you know, somebody could add, you know, if they were to hack your email or something like that, they could add an address, uh, but you have to keep your email secure. So we, we have lots of guides about securing, uh, your email with two-factor authentication. And of course we provide our own 2FA as well on the site. Um, and we have passcode based login and it, it's all very secure, but it's all designed really just to prevent anybody from doing anything malicious. Um, but yeah, everything is confirmed by your email from prime trust. So even if swan itself became malicious, we're, we're protecting our users from that, which is pretty cool. Awesome. And can you break down hot and
2: cold wallet for someone in layman terms? I have a super basic understanding. <laughs> like I mentioned, Jose is super tech, so he can, he knows it. <laughs> I think some of the listeners still don't understand what, even what a wallet is. You just talk about that.
1: Yeah, that's a, That may be a good thing to t- start with. So a wallet, it's it's a, a little bit of a misnomer. Um, a wallet is really a device or a piece of software, or it, it could be even a piece of paper uh, that contains what we call a key, right? A private key. Uh, so whenever you send Bitcoin to someone, you send it to kind of like a mailbox. It's the this, it's this scrambled looking thing of numbers and letters. It's really just a large number. Um, and in order to spend from that mailbox, they have to have a, what's called a private key. So a wallet, all it is, is a thing that stores that private key. And uh, they come in many flavors. You could have one on your phone. It could be an app on your phone. It could be an app on your uh, PC or your Mac. Uh, it could be a piece of hardware. There's a couple different hardware devices that are like, they look like USB sticks with screens usually or something similar to that. Um, and they're all designed to do the same thing with varying diff- sort of like levels of security. Uh, so when we talk about something being cold, uh, that's typically a device that's not connected to the internet. Uh, the benefit of that would be that we know for sure that this key that this on this device has never seen the light of day. Nobody's ever seen it. It can't be leaked out. If it's never been connected to the internet, you know that it's secure inside of that device. Um, when we talk about something being hot, it's more like your computer or your phone where the wallet is online. And if somebody was to hack your computer or your phone, potentially that wallet could be compromised. Even though right. wallets typically will have uh, additional security layers. But, you know, again, if you want to be super paranoid, never connect your wallet to the, to the internet. Um, right. You can do those kinds of things. Yeah, uh, and there's even more advanced solutions beyond that, but you know we can get into that if you want. I think I
2: saw an article of uh, someone who has two hundred million in Bitcoin uh, <laughs> sitting somewhere, and he yeah. has he's missing yeah. two words from his passcode, I believe, yeah. and he has two <laughs> he has two more attempts to get it. Yeah, yeah, he might yes. not get it.
0: <laughs> he might not get it. So, w- Jan, would would you agree with the analogy of, and this is how I like to put it, um, a hot wallet being equivalent to cash, having your own node being the equivalent to a debit card and having a cold hardware wallet being like digging money in the backyard. Would, would that sound pretty? <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, I think uh, so. Like, yeah, I would say, you know, if you have a hot wallet, for example, an app on your phone, I probably would carry as much in there as you would in a wallet in your, po- in your pocket, right? Like, right? Let's say somebody was to stop you and say, like, give me your phone, give me your password. Mm-hmm. And they got your phone, right? What do they get? They get a couple hundred dollars, probably okay. That they get like tens of thousands of dollars. Probably not good, right? Right. right. Uh, so probably wouldn't carry you know th- that much cash on me. Um, as far as cold storage, I think it is, is similar to burying it somewhere, and you can actually get really extreme with that. Uh, and I wanted to address the guy actually who bought who lost his password. Mm. Um, one of the That's problems was, yeah, one of the problems that 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 points out is that if you have a single key right and you lose it, and that key is protecting all of your Bitcoin you're totally screwed and that Bitcoin is gone. Uh, yeah. But nowadays there's this new thing called multi-sig. It's not really new, but it's, it's become more, um, it's become easier to use, let's just say. So yeah. multi-sig means you have like, it's multi-signature. You might have three different keys and you mm-hmm. only need two of them to spend the Bitcoin. So you would have like two different USB sticks and you, know, you put one in your house, like a uh, safe and you put one in your bank vault or you, you give it to your family member. And then the third one, you can actually have a company that specializes in this store for you. So there's companies like Unchained Capital or Casa. And what they That's do smart. is they they hold that third key for you just in case you lose one of them or there's a fire or some disaster, they'll be able to recover it for you. But they can't spend your money, but they can always recover the funds if you lose them. So nowadays, awesome. I would say once you get to... If you have $200 million, you should probably be thinking about a multi-seg solution. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'm sure this guy didn't, I mean, probably originally his Bitcoin was worth like, you know, $200 and he probably didn't mm-hmm. think about it. Mm-hmm. And now yeah. it's like, oops. Right. Um, you know. but <laughs> yeah, uh,
2: someone was telling me that, um, all right, so that guy, he's, he needs two more words to crack the code or whatever. And that someone said that they can do it, but they want to take half the bounty. And I'm know, just they... like,
1: I would do it. I would totally do it. I would
2: totally do it. And I get a hundred million. Let's do yeah. it. Yeah, can I mean, they do it though? Is
0: there yeah, any way for them? To,
1: yeah, I don't think there it is. It seems is. like a stretch. I don't know. Yeah. 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 If you sh- to guess two words, I mean there's no way. I don't know. Yeah. How you do this, yeah.
0: But- and that's the point of these things is for them to pretty much be unfigurable out. Like yeah, if you don't right. have
1: this thing, you're pretty much screwed. Yeah.
0: So I guess I would kick myself in the ass if I don't ask you how how do you secure your Bitcoin? Oh, a gentleman Ooh.
1: never tells. No, <laughs> oh actually- <laughs> man, I like
0: that. I like that.
1: <laughs> no, I'll okay. tell you. Go ahead, please. I'll tell you. So actually my strategy is probably more complicated than most because I've been in the space for a long time. But okay. I spread mine around. So I actually have some, you know, in a hardware wallet, I have some in a fund uh, that will like, you know, Smart. automatically transfer on death to my wife, like that kind of thing. Smart. Like, yeah. I have some in, uh, you know, in a custodial account on Swan, just so I know that like I'm, I'm drinking my own Kool-Aid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Love it. You know, like no. I have some, you know, in different places just so, cause I'm protecting myself from catastrophic loss of any one of those things. Yeah. But I think if you were to have just one thing, probably just like open up an unchained capital type of, or CASA account and just have like a multi-sig solution. If you have okay. more than like, I don't know, $10,000, you should probably think about it that way. Um, or... I always say, think about it in terms of your net worth, right? So, yeah, uh, you know, somebody who's really, really rich might not care about ten thousand dollars but for most people, that's a significant amount of money. And um, you want to probably figure out how to secure it, especially since we anticipate that it would grow yeah, tremendously. Yeah. i yeah. just say. Now, <laughs>
2: kind of on, on that same topic of like diversifying where you keep your stash, um, what do you make of companies like BlockFi who probably have a lot, of money or Bitcoin that they're kind of taking care of. They're also offered offering interest. Um, I I mean, we we see breaches all the time. Like, do you, do you think as Bitcoin gets bigger and bigger, there'll be more hacks on exchanges, or do you think things will get harder to break into as technology advances?
1: I think as long as the honey pot is big enough, there's always going to be an attempt to try to steal it. So Mm -hmm. I'm hesitant. I've personally never put funds into a service like that. I think, um, I mean, it gives you what, like 8% or something like that, and it's a significant 6% amount. 6% on Bitcoin, yeah. Okay, 6% on Bitcoin. And I think it probably goes down after you get above a certain amount or something. Exactly. Yeah. Right?
2: After, after two and a half coins, it goes yeah. to probably closer so to So like,
1: what are you really chasing after there? I mean, in my opinion, like the, the value of Bitcoin is rising so much that chasing after an additional 6% ju- and putting all your coins at risk, like, no. I, I, don't, I don't know, maybe they're a completely reputable, reputable company and maybe everything mm-hmm. is totally above board. There are always risks in lending, right? Absolutely. And to me, like the risk of lending Bitcoin is, should be way higher. It should be priced way higher than 6% uh, yeah. because it's the yeah. world's scarcest asset. And once mm-hmm. you lose it, you can't get it back. So <laughs> like I wouldn't lend, my, lend out my Bitcoin at 6%. I just don't think it's worth it. Uh, yeah. Some people do. So I don't know. It's all dependent so, on how much, if you get like tons of loose money, then maybe that's okay for you.
2: Yeah. Here, here's that's the story point. on this. Um, so I'm half Dominican, half uh, American, right? Um, my dad's an entrepreneur, businesses, real estate, all that. He took a lot of dough and put it in a bank in the Dominican Republic and the bank just shut down on him. And it's just like, what? You know what I mean? And it's just, he had a lot of money in the bank and it's, it's, you know, I, as I look at BlockFi, I'm like, I I, I don't know. I just think about my dad, like, don't make that mistake. You know what I mean? Don't put all my eggs in this basket here. Uh, So I've been chatting with Jose about like, you know, diversifying. I picked up a nano ledger. We were talking Mm. about some other things just to have something off. But even, even with the nano ledger, I think Peter Schiff was just on air and he's the, you know, the gold guy. He said he bought in Bitcoin a long time ago, but he had an issue with some technology that was, or something. Yeah. So I'm just thinking even like with the nano ledger, like what if the ledger or that device just like malfunctions?
1: Yeah. What I mean, this then? is why, I like for example, what I do whenever if I buy a hardware wallet, I always buy two mm-hmm. of them, because yep. I want to have like a backup just in case that particular device dies. But also, uh, because um, theoretically, most of these wallets use a standard like BIP thirty nine, which is a standard for <coughs> excuse me, it's a standard for how you back up these uh, what they're called seed phrases. So they'll give you like twenty four words that you have to write down. Mm-hmm. so though that's a standard. So even if that particular device died or, or, or even if that company went out of business, you could theoretically just restore it onto a new right. hardware wallet because you have a, wallet because you have a duplicate Be, because you no, because you have those words written down. Okay. you those, have the key backup, to the vault. yeah, gotcha. those backup words are the key to the vault, and they can they're just a a way to regenerate your private key, which is just a really large number. yeah, true. Gotcha. So yeah. I mean, um, theoretically, these things are recoverable, but this is why I'm. <coughs> I'm sorry.
2: Take Not your time. COVID. I, I just got.
1: <laughs> <swallowed something. laughs> take your time. Take your time. Take your time. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's because with these multi-signature solutions, you can um, lose one or or whatever, and, and still recover from from the extra key that you have. Okay. Gotcha. Are,
0: are you um? Uh, whenever you can catch yourself. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's going on with my voice here. I'm losing my voice. Oh, uh, don't, don't worry about it. You're giving us a ton of value. Yeah. <laughs> um, are you a fan of anybody in that space? So I, like Ben, got myself a Ledger Nano X uh, a while back. Um, I'm sure you've heard of their security breach on their data yeah. information. I try to tell people that, you know, the way the 24 seed word phrase thing works out, you know, even if they get breached, you won't get breached, if that makes yeah. any sense. Right. Um, but, uh, my original question, are you a fan of anybody in the space? Because I recently just got a cold card and I'm mm. really impressed with what they're doing with security.
1: Yeah, I agree. Cold card is really nice. Uh, I, I try to play with everything. I mean, I've, I've played with a Ledger, Trezor, Cold card. They're all good. Yeah, uh, okay. I, I think, to me, yes, Ledger had this compromise of the of the customer database. That could have happened to anybody. I mean, you know, to me, like that's that is a that is a problem, but it doesn't necessarily mean the hardware itself is bad. It does mean that right. maybe their data practices are not ideal. Um, I usually recommend wallets to people depending on where I think they are technically. So cold card, it's a little nerdy. There's a lot a lot going on there. Uh, ledgers, I think, kind of nice to use. Like they have a pretty nice uh, user interface, for example. So it's still a wallet that I recommend to newbies. Um, yeah. The Blockstream one looks interesting. I'm, I just ordered that one. I don't have it yet, but uh, curious to play with that one. They just released their own Blockstream Jade. And yeah, I just, you know, I, like, I think they're a pretty reputable company. So I'm I'm hoping that the product will be good. Uh, and it's also very, very well priced. It's like $39. So if, if that works, I would start recommending that to newbies. But I do really think that the future is in multi-sig. And I'm hoping that we're seeing... We're starting to see the beginnings of much better user experience around there, and so companies like Unchained and Casa are making it much better uh, than it used to be. And um, I think that's going to be the future. I think there's going to be a, a world where you just like buy a bunch of hardware wallets, and they magically all sync. You don't do anything; it just it just works, and it backs up, and it's seedless, which means you don't have to write down these seeds because if you lose one of them, you always have another one that you can recover from. Right. I think these things are coming in the next you know five years. It's going to get a lot better. So. Yeah, I'm just holding out and seeing what, what improves here. Nice. So when did you get into Bitcoin? Um, well, my, I first heard of Bitcoin in like 2011 and mm-hmm. they didn't understand it or, or know anything about it, but I, I bought some uh, at the good top of you, the man. bubble. <laughs> Not good for me because I bought the top of the, I, I bought the, top of the $30 <laughs> oh. bubble and then hey. I sold it. You didn't hear the rest of the story. I sold it at the $2 <laughs> bottom. Yeah, oh, uh, <laughs> so uh, I, I would have been, I don't know, a billionaire now. I don't know what I've been. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had like, a, I think $1,000 at like 30 bucks, whatever. I mean. actually have a question
0: here that says, what's guess, the oh, worst experience? Much, it's
1: like thirty points. <laughs> what's the worst experience you've ever had in Bitcoin? I actually yeah. have that question here. That I was guess a that good experience be... because, I mean, it was a learning experience. Sure, I didn't know anything yeah. about markets, trading, finance, you name it. I didn't know the first thing about it. I was just like mm-hmm. working on startups. I heard about Bitcoin on and, and Slashdot and I was like, okay, this is cool. I'll buy some,
2: I'll buy some man.
1: Uh, then I sold the bottom <laughs> and then, uh, then like 2013, I did the same thing. And then really only 2016 is when I finally started researching it and, and understanding it. And it seems like this is a very common story from people I talk to. They, they hear about it. Like they have to hear about it multiple times in order to finally for it to click that this is something worth looking at you know, not, you know, even people who buy some sometimes don't understand what they bought. They're just like, Oh, I heard this is a number that's going up me mm. buy some of this. And, uh, and then they have it on Coinbase. So they've never actually uh, interacted with it, put it in their wallet. They've never sent it to anybody. They just like clicked the button on Coinbase and they got some, some Bitcoin. And that's why we're so keen, like with Swan, we're doing so much education and really explaining like, you know, how, did, how does the money system work? Like, why is there digital censorship going on all over the world? Like what's, what's happening in the world? Why is this important? Um, yeah. It's not just a number that goes up. It's such a big revolution and like possibly everything that uh yeah, that yeah you have to have a part a part of this absolutely yeah i was to in there.
2: myself like even if i did buy it in 2011 like i probably would have did exactly what you yeah. would have did you would never I mean? have held it i yeah, mean yeah, i don't yeah, know yeah. how
1: many people have held it from 2011 it's like it would be insane right yeah yeah like, so I think just... about it like you buy something and it goes up like 10x and you're like oh my god this is the best investment of my life and mm. it yeah. goes up 100x and you're like this is impossible like, I have to sell it Gotta now. Do. There's no way it's going any higher. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's nobody who holds for, for like, you know, million percent gains. This doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. So if somebody did, I mean, my hat's off to them, but Absolutely. I don't believe it, man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's crazy. <laughs> That's insane.
0: Yeah, I was in the, uh, um, I got an invite to, to Clubhouse earlier and I was in the, uh, the room that the guys that swam Bitcoin did. Oh, nice. And uh, there was a lot of value going on in there, man. <laughs> you guys are doing a great job educating, man. I, I, I enjoy what you guys are doing for sure. Thank you. So yeah. after, after all the information that we've talked about in this conversation, if somebody was still on the fence about investing on Bitcoin, what is it that you would say to I would say
1: that it's 2021. I mean, get with the program.
0: Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> do some reading. I, I,
1: think, like, uh, <laughs> I would say <laughs> no. I would frankly say that, like, you know, having zero Bitcoin is a very strange, like, position to take, right? Like, you have to really. I think it's worth at least reading about it. Okay, so if you don't want to put your money into it, I think it's worth at least uh, investing in your own education, and and like reading one article about Bitcoin. I, I can, you know, I can recommend a, a number of them. There's really good ones. Uh, actually, on Swan, if you go to Swan and go to swanbitcoin.com slash what is Bitcoin, which is my my own article. I'm shilling my own article. I'm sorry. Um, no, but it's no, short. Please. It's like the first no, chapter of my book, essentially. It's short. And if you read that article and you still are like, okay, this is not for me, then fine. I understand. But at least you understand what Bitcoin is, why it's important, why people think it's interesting. And then you can make that decision. But if you've like researched Bitcoin and then decided, no, I'm going to have zero of it, um, and you're so convinced that you're right... I like, uh, it, that's just a very strange position because like, yeah. what if you're wrong? And if you're wrong, all it takes, I mean, put a hundred dollars in it, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just have some skin in the game because if this is the future of the monetary system, you want to have some skin in the game. And for me, it's not even just a get rich quick or slow or whatever you want to call it thing. It's more like, I want to make sure that my children have something that is theirs and theirs alone. Like I, I will pass on something to them that I know yeah, they can always fall back on if, you know, things get hard. If America turns into Venezuela, God forbid, I mean, mm-hmm. it could happen. Like, yeah. They will have a way out, right? My children will have a way out. I'm not worried about myself, but I think my children or their children, I want them to have a way out. Um, and Absolutely. Ha- having gone through that process before, I know that you, know, you could live in a country and everything seems fine, and then on the next day it's not. So you, you don't want to be in that situation. So please, go out and buy some Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: and yeah, do it I'd... through Swan Bitcoin. Do it through yeah, Swan. Definitely.
1: Right. Yeah,
2: definitely. Yeah, let's tell people savage. that.
0: Dollar cost average in is what I tell people. That's all I've been telling people too. On a smaller scale, I try to say, um, you know, not to plug them or anything, but do the acorn tactic, right? Like just get your change and just whatever. If you have to go over to Cash App, you have to go to Swamp Bitcoin, wherever it is you
1: got to go, just make it happen. Yeah, Um, whatever works for you. We have instant buys now too. So if you set up a plan and then, you know, you want to smash by a hundred bucks, you could do that. Is it instant? You want to explain that? For, yeah, can you explain can you instant buy? Yeah, instant Thank buys you. are are essentially like where um, we buy the Bitcoin, but then we fund it from your bank account a couple days later. So okay. the, the banking system is actually ridiculously slow. People say <laughs> Bitcoin can't scale, but actually the ACH system can't scale. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't scale on purpose. I, I'm kind of joking, but you know they, they do take a long time to settle uh, banking transfers. So uh, with that feature, you lock in a price at that time. And then yep. you own that bitcoin and then if your banking uh transfer comes in one or two days later then you're good and if you know if it bounces then then well you don't have that bitcoin you have to return it that uh, is an incredible tool <laughs> yeah i think that's I,
2: genius we we talked about I, that a little
0: we bit. were just literally talking about that like, yeah. why is it taking so long to yeah. get my money into this account
1: and it's because mm-hmm. of that because of the ach yeah the... ach is absolutely horrible and we also frankly america is so behind the rest of the world on this because uh, other countries don't have this problem they, a lot of them have instant transfers and same yeah. day transfers and stuff like that, and um, but whatever. too much so, money.
0: Too much money to skim off the top, I guess. Is what it's exactly.
1: Uh, they also have. Uh, we also have wire transfers. So if you are more of a high net worth uh, individual or somebody who's looking at corporate treasury, you can wire in any amount of money you want, um, and then you can make a buy like that. And you can also dollar cost yeah. average after that. So some people awesome. are doing that as well. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah, the
2: instant buy is huge. We were talking about a uh, BlockFi and how um, there's you know three to five day wait. Yeah, and I mean, in that case of like forty-two to thirty grand, that dip that we just saw, like yeah. <laughs> yeah. you missed out on the dip if you don't have an instant buy. I'll so be it's perfectly. Awesome tra- that you guys have that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'll be perfectly transparent. I submitted fifty bucks today to Blackfyre. I'm not going to see it till Monday. Yeah, and yeah. the price could be I mean, back to 43. That's
1: 45. ACH. Like our, whenever yep. you're doing a Swan plan, that we're still going through standard ACH, but we still allow you to supplement it with instant buys. We're yep. working towards a system where more and more of our buys will be instant. Uh, yeah, probably awesome. going to take us like next quarter to get all that done, but we're going to see a lot that. more, a lot more instant buys there. That's, That's awesome. I love that. Do you have developed. any feeling
0: on the, uh, if I could jump in here just because we're talking about speed and, uh, scalability, do you have any opinions on the lightning network? Are you guys working with the lightning network?
1: Anything uh, on that? We are not currently working with lightning. And, and part of the reason is because, um, we don't control the withdrawals so that are coming from prime trust. Uh, so, okay. uh, we are pushing them to do so. And uh, we do plan to offer lightning withdrawals for our referral program. So we have something called the Swan Force. Uh, you can go to swanbitcoin.com/enlist, and you can basically earn referral fees. You can earn twenty-five percent of somebody's fees uh, by sending them to Bitcoin or uh, to Swan Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, that will probably have some lightning withdrawals over the next, you know, two quarters. Um, not sure when exactly, but that's that is something we're thinking about. I think lightning network is really cool, but I also think it's very very early. And yeah. both in the sense that most of the apps that are out there are still very young and, and the usability is not great. Uh, the ones that do have good usability, like I like Breeze Wallet, really cool wallet. It's not yeah. an app store. You have to get it through test flight. So I can't like right. recommend it to random people. They don't know how to do, do a test flight. Yeah. So um, all these things are, you know, being shaken out. When it gets shaken out and, you know, the lightning liquidity gets sorted out and there's more uh, Bitcoin locked up in it, these, yeah. these things will come but I think it's early. I, I'm very bullish on lightning, but I think it's, you know, five years out in my opinion. That's, that's the time frame there.
0: Yeah. I find it extremely difficult to open channels that are worth anything nowadays. Right. Um, it's just, who do I connect to? Why would I connect to them?
1: And then you, a, a good channel will cost you a good $200 to kind yeah, of. You're, and you shouldn't have to make those decisions, right? Those, those are things that yeah. I should, I mean, if you're like a, an operator of a lightning routing node or something, then that's one thing. But I think the everyday person should not have to think about this. This lightning is very much for developers right now. Like everything yeah. is very developer oriented. And if you want to tweak all the levers, you can go in and do that, but it should be as easy as opening up an app on your phone and it does everything else. And breeze is pretty darn close. Um, but I, again, I think it's, you know, give it another six months, uh, 12 yeah, months. Jose's, Jose's
2: been explaining it to me. He showed me his, uh, his node setup, and he was kind of breaking it down. And I'm like, I'm kind of techie, but again, that you, you hit it on the head where you're like, it's yeah. a developer's game. And it's just like, it's super complicated. So for yeah. me to kind of open something like that up, like I, it, it wouldn't even be fun, even if it was profitable, like I'd be pulling my hair out and I'd, I'd well, have yeah, to pay Jose I mean, to help me, right?
1: It's very much like in the nineties, like I got my internet in 1993 and it was like, <laughs> you have to figure everything <laughs> out. I had multiple computers at home, so I had to figure out how to run a Linux thing with like IP masking to try to route all my you know, computers mm-hmm. at home. And like, you know, I was basically like running a mini ISP, right? And that's yeah. not something that normal people should have to do. That's, something that geeks do. And then eventually it gets abstracted away. And then people just like have an app on their phone, but we're still at the geek stage right now with lightning, I think. So it's fun. It's, it's really fun. Yeah. It's fun if, you're, if you if you like to tweak things, but I agree though. I agree. <laughs> you know I mean? There's still a
0: ways to go. Um, and, and yeah. yeah, the liquidity thing, I, I've had so many people explain it to me that I've been in it for a while Yeah. and I'm just like, they keep telling me, how yeah, just put some money down. And I'm like, why? I mean, it's it...
1: completely unintuitive and it shouldn't be something that no normal people think about. It's, it's very hard yeah. to, to understand.
0: <laughs> but when it, when it, when it matures, do you feel that it will, will solve the scalability problem of, of Bitcoin?
1: I think it, is that it could. the answer? I mean, I don't okay. know. Uh, I'm not. I'm not going to claim to be like the foremost expert on Lightning. Right. Um, I mm-hmm. think there's some challenges that at least I've read about in terms of uh, scaling the routing uh, yeah. and having good routing and, and stuff like that. But it's going to get better. Um, and if it doesn't, then there will be something else, right? And, For and sure. I also think that Bitcoin. Uh, this is something that people don't get a lot about Bitcoin is they think of it as a payment network, and they're like, well, why doesn't it do Visa scale? Why doesn't it do fifty thousand transactions a second? And the answer is that Bitcoin is designed to do a very different thing. It's actually designed not to uh, be fast, but really to enforce scarcity and immutability and security. That's yeah, that's what I mean by those things. So in order to do that, it has to actually be quite slow because it has to sync a worldwide permissionless network. So we don't want the network to become permissioned or centralized. We actually need it to be quite slow. And so Bitcoin is actually designed to, to secure value. And then everything else that's built on top of it, like you know, like we have with real, real real money, I mean, when banks send dollars to each other, they don't send it instantly either right they They do it through like you know once a day settlement, and only once uh, a year or something would a bank send like a pallet of gold to another bank or maybe never, right? Maybe that happens yeah. across uh countries when they need to settle with a pallet of cash or a pallet of gold or something like that. That settlement never happens in real life at it all It's all batched up, so it's the same thing with Bitcoin and so a Bitcoin transaction have lots and lots of payments bashed into it. And the question is, what, what are the things that are going to batch those payments? They could be Lightning Network. It could be Bitcoin banks, like essentially exchanges that morph into banks. Um, sure. It could be that you use your credit card, and then you pay your credit card at the end of the month with Bitcoin, right? All of those things could happen, and they all solve a scalability problem. So think of Bitcoin Good as point. money, and then there's lots and lots of ways to do payment networks on top of it. That's I like that. Yeah.
2: Can we talk price predictions?
1: <laughs> well, I don't know. A lot. It's somewhere between, <laughs> between like saying, Let's just say a whole lot. Let's <laughs> say, uh, any price
2: prediction on like end of 2021?
1: Um, I don't know. But, you know, the way that I think about it is having been through some cycles so far is that mm. we look to be in the beginning of the next cycle, right? So when we talk mm-hmm. about cycles of Bitcoin, a lot of times we talk about the having every four years. We have uh, a supply shock to Bitcoin. There's less Bitcoin being produced. It's cut mm-hmm. in half. That just happened. Um, so right. we, after the halving, we're now only producing six and a quarter Bitcoins every 10 minutes. It's a very, very small amount of Bitcoin. Did that uh, happen back in May? That happened right. back right. in May. Right. That's right. Yeah, I yeah. remember,
2: remember leading up to it. And I was just yeah. excited. Like,
1: so uh, after the halving happens, it's like. Now the supply of Bitcoin is, is vastly it's constrained scary. and that usually fuels the next cycle, right? The price goes up a little bit, then people start to realize the price is going up. They try to buy some, it goes up mm-hmm. a lot. And now there's a real shortage because there's no real supply entering the market. And I think mm-hmm. what's interesting of in this cycle that's different from previous ones is that we're seeing outflow of coins from exchanges. Uh, you could see that yep. exchange balances are being drawn down, which is an indication that people are holding their coins longer term. They're not thinking about mm-hmm. putting them on an exchange to trade with them are taking them into cold storage, you're not going to plan to sell them. Uh, this creates even more of a supply constraint. And then you mm-hmm. have even more of that supply shock and then the demand is going to go up. So um, in a previous cycle, you know, we saw the price go from like, say, you know, 600 bucks to 20,000, mm-hmm. um, roughly 20 to 30 X increase depending on how you want to slice it. So if that happens again, then, I mean, we could be at 200, 400,000, it's possible. Uh, I'm not going to discount it. I don't know. Yeah. I, don't know yeah, when, I don't know how it's going to play out, but right. it seems to me like the, the kind of money that's entering into the space now is, is large money. It's billion dollar buys, um, billion dollar buys. I mean, look, Michael Saylor did that and look what happens to the price. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. I can tell you again, from personal experience that all these companies that we're not serving billion dollar customers, but they're coming not in yet. with hundred thousand, <laughs> 500,000, coming in with a million. I mean, they're coming in with buys that are yeah. not, not your, resale buys. So that's going to drive the price up quite a lot. And, um, love it. I don't know, man. I, I could see love 200 it. or 400 happening. Yeah. So a uh, Bitcoin will stop being produced. Is it 2040? 2140 is yeah. Roughly. Okay. It could be plus or minus cause sometimes it yeah. speeds up a little bit. Sometimes it slows down a little bit. Yeah. Roughly yeah. 2140.
2: Yeah. It's crazy. Just kind of wonder like what it would be like then, you know what I mean? Like if it's How many of 30 of now, to see it's it? like, it, <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> Crazy. I think what we're
0: seeing
1: now is incredible as it is. Uh, same, here. same here. I, it's growing way faster than I imagined, right? And I think this is actually a testament to the fact that even when you're in this space and you think you understand its potential, you still have no mm. idea. And yeah. uh, I think, you know, I always say that it's really hard to understand exponential trends. Um, I, I always like to look at uh, Cliff Stoll's article in Newsweek in 1995 about the internet. And uh, for those of you who are not familiar, basically he talked about like, uh, look, my local mall does more business in a day than the entire internet does in a month. Uh, How is this ever going to be a thing? How is it? We're told that there's going to be e-commerce and we're told where people are going to buy airplane tickets online. This is never going to happen, right? This is a joke. And keep in mind, he's saying this 20 years after the internet's been out. It's 1995. It's been out for about 20 years. Uh, In the mid nineties, it's already flourishing and there's lots of websites Mm -hmm. being built, right? This is not the, the like, the very very beginning. This is, is someone in, and he's just saying like it's never going to happen. And if you look at where we were on the adoption curve at that time, only half a percent of the world had any internet. Five percent in the U.S. was the penetration at the time. So it wow. looked like just the flat part of that exponential curve, right? And it was just starting to pick up. And that's the time we write this article, that says it's never going to happen. And guess what happens in the next three years? It goes vertical, mm-hmm. and you I get into the, the S curve. You know this this vertical part of the curve. And all of a sudden you have the dot-com boom and like now everything changes, right? And every single thing he wrote was wrong. <laughs> <And> he, was <laughs> not, he was not a dumb guy. He, he was a smart guy and he'd been in technology and he wasn't like talking out of his ass. He, he thought that he was right because he'd actually been in the internet for 20 years and thought it was going nowhere. So yeah. uh, it's the same thing with Bitcoin where if you're in it, you're like, this is cool. It's doing good. It's developing, but I don't know how fast it's going to go. And all of a sudden it just goes because you have something like, you know, a move that, you know, they didn't expect like a Michael Saylor that's changing the Mm -hmm. game now. And all of a sudden corporations have to get in. And now you have the bank of Iran accumulating it because they're going to settle trades with Venezuela using Bitcoin. And all of a sudden countries have to get in. And what happens then? I mean, nobody can predict how steep that curve will get. It will go vertical, like in a way that nobody's ever seen.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Apple has 192 billion cash on hand.
1: Yeah. What are they going to do with that? They're right? yeah. not buying if, Bitcoin. Like, They're going to have to explain that to their, sh- at their shareholders
2: at some point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just yeah, five, I actually just heard give us 5%. Just, just put 5% in.
1: <laughs> I, I heard something interesting in a podcast
0: where Apple has the opportunity, if they adopt Bitcoin, to have the power to build hardware wallets inside of every iPhone. I found that very yeah. interesting. I think that's a very interesting play,
2: and that would be huge. It would be incredible. So c- can you break that down? So, all right. Say Apple does do that. You get the latest iPhone 15 or whatever. Um, if that phone gets sunk in water,
1: how do you retrieve that wallet? Is it 24 time? words. Huh? Yeah. The, 24 the word. word the, okay. the key to the vault. You just okay. need the key to Got the vault. Right. Nah, I think okay. if Apple did it, they probably have would have like a variety of ways that you could encrypt it and share, you know, like uh, store an encrypted seed on, a friend's phone too. Like you could do all kinds of stuff sure. if you control the hardware. It could be interesting.
0: Yeah. Well, Ooh. that's going to be required for mass adoption because once again, back to the geeky trend, it's hard to keep 24 words, safe, yeah. secure, spread out, multi-sig, all this and that when yeah. Apple could just say, hey, we'll offload all that for you if you just buy an iPhone. Exactly. Yeah, they uh, could do a
1: lot when they control the hardware. So we don't know what that solution will look like, but I'm sure they're going to make it very Apple-like, which would mm-hmm. be awesome. That's insane. Integrated um, into the Apple car.
0: <laughs> if. what would you say to anybody who brings up the word Ponzi scheme around Bitcoin?
1: I would say go read the new article by Lynn Alden that says Bitcoin is not a Ponzi scheme point by point. Um, it's a really good article by the way. She's, she's an advisor to Swan and a very small, uh, smart, uh, financial analyst and brilliant. You should read the article, but I mean, look, it's, it's simple. Like uh, in a Ponzi scheme, you have to have somebody at the top benefiting Mm -hmm. the, I mean, just buy the Bitcoin. You're, you're the one who benefits. Like, yeah, I don't understand. Yeah. You're not beating you off anybody the else. There, there's nobody right. at the top. There's no pyramid here. Right. And uh, right. if anything, like the pyramid is in the traditional financial system because like, for example, if you buy a bond today, that's yielding like, you know, 0.1% or zero, well then mm-hmm. you have to hope that somebody else comes and buys that bond from you for a larger price. That's what you're right. literally buying as a Ponzi scheme where, you know, like there's no returns on that. The, the Bitcoin yeah. is you're buying a piece of, property that is ship, censorship resistant that is transportable across the internet instantly that you can walk out of a country front with, and it's yours. All right. Nobody's taking yeah. it from you and pieces of the Mona Lisa. Absolutely. How does that happen? Yeah. I don't know. I don't understand. I think people <laughs> don't understand the definition of Ponzi scheme when they say that.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah.
2: You got anything else, Ben? No, no. I know, yeah. i talked about a little bit about price predictions and Apple and corporations. We're good.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, if, if you could send, you know, the listeners to anywhere you want to go, any call
1: to action, what would it be, man? Um, I would say check out, uh, you know, I hate to show another podcast on another podcast, no. but check out our podcast called the Swan Signal Podcast. Uh, you can find it at swansignalpodcast.com. Um, we do a weekly live show. You can find it on Twitter at the Swan Bitcoin handle. And we have lots of really cool guests, um, people from macroeconomics, uh, tech, finance, whatever. And even if you think those topics seem boring, uh, and they did to me before I got into Bitcoin, when you watch these shows and you listen to these people, you learn so much about how the world works. And you realize that, you know, when they say money makes the world go round, I mean, they're not kidding. It's it's literally what is at the root of everything. And um, the reason I'm working on Bitcoin is not because I think it's like a cool way to get rich. It's, it's because I really think that money is such a fundamental uh, fabric of our society that if we fix the money, we'll fix so many society. problems in society like wealth inequality, you know, like uh, people living under censorship, under authoritarianism. Like that's the reason I'm in Bitcoin. And I'm happy when public companies in, in, uh, in the United States are buying Bitcoin, not because I want them to get rich, but because they're setting a floor on the price of Bitcoin and that's helping everybody else in the world get uh, out of poverty or out of uh, authoritarianism. And I hope that nobody else has to live through a Soviet Union or through a Venezuela. I mean, we should eradicate that problem. And the only way Absolutely. that we can eradicate that problem is by taking money away from governments. Uh, and we're going to do it and they're going to like it. Actually, they're going to like it cause they're going to get rid of yeah. us. <laughs> and they're not going <laughs> to know what's, what's hitting them I and then they're going to they're disintegrate. So that's going to happen. Yeah. And they're, they're going to like it the whole way through So we're going to, we're going to see how that goes. <laughs> Incredible.
2: Yeah, that's uh, individual sovereignty as individual uh, Russell sovereignty. Okung has been saying.
1: Yes. Uh,
2: yes. Awesome. Yeah.
1: But, well, we have to get there slowly, but surely or gradually. And then suddenly.
0: Yeah. Well, Jan, I appreciate you, you know, answering me back on Twitter to begin with. This was an incredible conversation. I'm super excited what you guys are doing over at Swan Bitcoin. Uh, the education you guys have been giving out has been solid. I follow most of you. Awesome. The clubhouse stuff is awesome that you guys have too, and all the value you've given us today. Fantastic. Uh, thanks so much, man. I Thank appreciate you. it.
1: Yep. Check out swanbitcoin.com yeah. and if you want 10 bucks free, go to swanbitcoin.com slash Jan, you'll get 10 bucks in your account. Um, yeah. 30 days hey. after you get started. And, uh, and use that instant
0: buy because that's incredible. Use that buy. <laughs> <laughs> Jan Presker, CTO of Swan Bitcoin. That wraps up another episode of Talking in Bits. I hope you guys got so much out of that, like me and Ben did. It was incredible to talk to Jan and hear his experience and hear everything that he has to offer the Bitcoin community. Please, guys, if you enjoyed this episode, rate, share, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe to our channel on YouTube to continuously get this awesome, valuable information that can possibly change your life. We appreciate you guys. We'll see you guys soon. Take care.